0: Hello and welcome to the Real Heroes of e-commerce. I'm your host, Jason, and this is the next episode in our holiday series, Jingle All the Way. Today, we are talking about the product page with Rishi Rawat, aka the product page guy. He has studied over 5,000 product pages and has a keen sense for understanding customers and what they're looking for when shopping on a website. I hope you enjoy our conversation, and when you're finished, I'd like to hear your thoughts on it you can head over to heroesofecommerce.substack.com, and let's keep the conversation going. Okay, let's get to it. All right, Rishi, welcome
1: to the show. Thanks for having me, Jason.
0: Right, before we get started, I'm um, talking about product description pages or product detail pages. Um, give me a little bit of background about, you know, your business and what you do.
1: Sure. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you, I I'll, I'll kind of zoom out all the way. I'm essentially a, I'm an engineer, uh, I did my undergrad in computer science. Uh, I am, I've always been a marketer at heart. And so I've always been on this uh, quest to figure out a way to kind of be involved in marketing and also be involved in the measurement side of effectiveness. And so I naturally, if you really kind of think about that story, A-B testing, which is what the tool I use is just perfectly designed for people that have that quantitative interest, but also are interested in in marketing. Mm -hmm. And and I should mention here real quick, you know, like my story goes all the way back to when I was 16 years old. And I remember this because it's such a pivotal point in my life. Um, I walked into a retail store and I remember walking into this retail store, it was kind of two steps down and I could see all the aisles in and I noticed that there was an aisle to my right and there was a customer. I have no idea what this customer was looking to buy, but whatever it was, they had lifted it up and they were investigating it. And then I saw this customer put it down and walk away. And I saw them walk back up to the product and lift it up again. It was almost like they were having this, this mental debate of should I buy this, should I not buy this? And you know maybe they had some questions, but what's interesting as I looked to my left, I saw the cash register where the owner of the store was sitting. And I thought to myself that at the end of the day, this owner is going to tally up the sales of the day and decide if they had a good day or a bad day with no idea that there was a customer that was having a struggling moment in aisle, whatever that aisle was. But the customer didn't feel invested enough to actually walk up to the cash register and say, hey, I'm thinking of buying this item, but I have some of these questions. And I thought to myself like, what a wasted opportunity, how inefficient a system. And I thought about like, I wonder if in the future, there'll be a way to actually record all of these. And I, I was thinking at that time in terms of like traditional retail stores and then out comes e-commerce where we actually do record all of that stuff. And so it was like a dream come true for me. So.
0: <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah, it's amazing what uh, people do in the stores and online is very similar.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So you focus on product pages. I'm trying to get them optimized for the buyer to understand exactly what they're getting and remove objections. How many product pages have you worked on?
1: Well, I mean, I, I'm pretty confident that I've worked on over 200 plus easily over 200 plus product pages in mm-hmm. the last 13 years, but I'm, the more interesting number is that I'm pretty confident that I've studied at least 5,000 product pages over the last 13 years. One of the things that I do is I have a bucket of time, 20% of my time uh, fixed for research. Mm -hmm. And so I will do no billable, no client work for that time. And I'll just use that time to actually be a mystery shopper for a client that I don't have. And for a brand that I'm, you know, new to and just studying their product pages and seeing like, you know, What can I, what inspiration can I get from them? How are they kind of solving this puzzle? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, so yeah, thousands and thousands of product pages.
0: That's pretty cool. Do you have any memorable ones that have just instantly stood out to you as like, wow, this one got it right?
1: Yeah. I think there are there are there are there are lots of them that I encounter, and I especially like bits and pieces that I'm like, oh, this is really clever. Like for example, uh, one of the product pages I went to recently, I thought was a very clever hook was that in their description they actually have a little line that says, you know, because they know that some people are on the product page in research mode, and so they simply ask people like, you know, hey, um, do you need if you need more time. Uh, give us your email address and we actually email this information to you. And I thought that was like really clever. Um, yeah. But for me, the best example of a product page is really where, so, you know, people who are listening to the podcast, I actually can't see my my office, but I actually, Jason, over here have a red color book. Um, And this actually is the most valuable thing I own. It's a reprint. It's not the original, can't afford that. But it's a reprint of a 125-year-old Sears catalog. Mm -hmm. And it is like a masterpiece of copywriting. So I, I am actually very much an old soul. And I'm a big fan of old school direct response copywriting. So I naturally gravitate towards product pages that are using those like old approaches for persuasion. And you asked me what my favorite one was. And so my favorite product page is, it's a Michigan based company called Zingerman's. It's a company that is known for making artisanal breads and, you know, you know, cheeses and chocolates and, and they kind of uh, procure this stuff from all over the world, uh, olive oil, etc. And what's remarkable about their product pages. I mean, if I, if you think about the standard product page, the Standard product pages like here is our olive oil. Here are the ingredients. Here are the you know here are the features and benefits, and here is what it costs. What they did was uh, in their product page, it was actually the description was written by one of their employees, so they actually had the person's name, and the description was basically you know I went to Italy. I spent three months with this family. And I saw how they were kind of harvesting their olives and I noticed I paid attention to how they were pressing them and I had a relationship with all of them. And at the end of that process, I decided, you know what, their small batch artisanal olive oil is extraordinary and it we must make it available for Zingerman customers. Now to me, that description is hard. Tot- I literally went on a journey with this person to Italy mm-hmm. for three months. And to me, that just is 10,000 times better than the alternate. So. That's my favorite example that I, I've encountered, but I'm sure there are many other examples that I've found that I've really liked, but this one sticks out
0: When you were talking about the Sears catalog, you mentioned direct response copywriting. Just explain to to me and the audience like what is the difference between when most people just say copywriting and when you know professionals say direct
1: response copywriting So direct response copywriting is uh, came out in an era when we had newspapers and magazines and there would be these little inserts and uh, those inserts were advertisements for all kinds of products, uh, elixirs of health and toothpaste and stuff like that. And the problem was that the person who was reading the newspaper might have been traveling in a train or might have been kind of, you know, at, at work. So they can't like, they couldn't like make a purchase. And so they came up with this mechanism where you could, you um, you could actually cut out a little slip with your address uh, and they would send you a little booklet and that became the conversion. So what we call add to card was their mechanism of add to card. And it it was a free conversion. Essentially, you're not paying money for it. You're getting a free booklet, but they were able to figure out that there was a very high probability of them being able to make a sale if they could get someone to do this micro conversion. And so that whole form of advertising, where it wasn't about the brand, it wasn't like, you know, buy Kellogg's cereal because, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then maybe two years down the road, a mother who's seen the ad 50 times would say, you know what, I'm going to buy Kellogg's for my kids because you can't measure any of that. This was more like, here's a promise. And the only way that, the only way for for you to take an action is to actually cut it out and send it to us. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's a black and white signal. So that was called direct response advertising.
0: Okay. Well, how does that relate to like a product page now? How would you incorporate that ideal into, you know, the digital world.
1: Well, a product page is, a. I mean, a product page has the cutout on a product page is the add to cart button. Cool. Uh, and so that's the proxy that I, that's the mental model that I think about. Um, I think the other benefit of thinking about it from the perspective of direct response ad, this is actually more interesting, is that um, for a direct response marketer, see the difference between brand marketing when Kellogg's was investing in brand marketing the person who would come up with those kind of clever creatives and those beautifully designed uh, ads, wasn't really thinking about what, how do I measure this? They were thinking in terms of like, you know what, we know that when someone sees an ad for Kellogg's uh, 400 times, 10% of them actually end up buying the product. And so that was the math they were going with. And so Mm. the creative team was just there was no ROI. There was no metric. They were just kind of coming up with clever creatives, knowing that for every 400 times people saw them, 10% of people would make a purchase. Direct response is very different because it assumes that I only have one chance with the buyer. Okay. And so it's a completely different mindset. Now, when you look at product pages, uh, we uh, this is a really interesting data point is that 60, I think it's like 34% of people that come to 60, 60, sorry, 68% of people that come to a website are totally new to the website, which means that only 32% of them are returning visitors. Just think about that from the perspective of the product page. You have a product page. That means 68% of people that will see this page will never see this page again, which means Mm -hmm. I have one shot in which I need to convince and persuade And from a buyer's perspective, I have one shot in which I need to give the buyer all the information they need to take an action. So that mental model is very, very useful. And it really allows us to drive much bigger improvements in product pages because we know we have one shot.
0: That's really interesting. Um, Like you, I've, I've seen a million product pages. And often with like new and smaller websites, you go onto that product page, there's a description, you know, you have your six pictures or whatever is allowed in their theme, and then there's just nothing under it. And that, I guess, is directly <laughs> um, against the whole mindset of direct response. Yeah. So getting into that mindset, you said you have a, a tip that you like to share for people who are trying to optimize those pages.
1: I have, I have a bunch of tips. Um, I think the the, I guess what I'll say is that the thing that we have to be aware of, and this, is, this goes back to user behavior, and I'm hoping that some of the listeners will be like, oh yeah, that's actually how I shop too. So if someone is looking for a curling iron or a, a health supplement, the way we behave is we go to Google uh, and we run a search, and then we open, we see a bunch of ads, these little mm-hmm. uh, tiles where there's a little bottle and then there's a price point and uh, on the Google result itself, and it's a different brand and then we right click and we open a couple of tabs because we are in we don't have a relationship with the brand yet at this point so we're kind of at a distance we want to bet pick the best brand for our needs and so um i think it's very useful to understand that when someone is coming to your product page, if they're coming through paid advertising and, and mm-hmm. you and you should know that, but if they're coming through paid advertising, there's a very high likelihood that they have your direct competitors that are opened up as these alternate tabs. So when you are constructing your sales pitch, uh, you want to construct it in a way where you are essentially kind of drawing attention to, you essentially effectively want to present information in a way that actually gets them to ignore those other open tabs. So so what, mm-hmm. So what? that would be my, one of the tips I would give people is really focus on the opening of the sales page because not many people are going to read your entire, it's not like people are reading the entire description, then going to tab number two, reading the entire description, then going to tab number three and reading the entire description and then say, okay, I've read all of this information, which one do I like best? The way they actually behave is they start reading the description on tab one and, and within the first two sentences, they they conclude, is this good? Should Does this brand deserve my attention? And the answer is like, you know what, I'm actually kind of drawn to those other, I want to see what those other tabs are talking about. They'll actually stop reading and they'll go to the other tabs and then they'll never come back. So mm-hmm. you want to kind of construct your copy in a way with that awareness, it because it completely changes how you write copy. Interesting.
0: And that description is just that typical description you see on like the right-hand side, or do yeah. people look for titles first?
1: Uh, People, I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't really kind of um, torture myself with thinking about, like, what specific elements do people look at? Yes, they do certainly look at, they do look at the headline, they look at the, they certainly look at the images in the, uh, in the thumbnails. Um, But, you know, uh, I know that they look at the description, and I know they look at the reviews as well. So, so really, I have to really think about, like, how do I, um, I'm just focused on the description. So to me, I don't pay attention to anything else. Mm-hmm.
0: You mentioned earlier, um, what was it? Demonstrating expertise. Yes. What's the, what's your take on that?
1: That's so, you know, I, one again, I am really interested in, I'm I'm the world's laziest guy. And so when <laughs> I was kind of, Given this incredibly complicated opportunity of understanding how we can make descriptions more effective, I kind of like asked myself, like, of all the things that the description could cover, what would have the biggest impact? And there's a whole bunch of things that can have meaningful impacts. But I was interested in like what would have the biggest impact. And through tons and tons of experiments, hundreds and hundreds of experiments. What we discovered was, and it it intuitively totally makes sense. We're living, so we have transitioned as consumers from a world 200 years ago, when there were general products, like general merchandising was the thing. So you'd walk into a, a store, the only store in town, and you had a relationship with the store owner. I mean, there was, you know, it was a. You met them in church, and you know, part of the community. And you'd walk in, and you'd say, "Look, I, you know, my my toothpaste that I'm using, I don't really like it as much." And he would say, "Oh, Jason, you know what? This new product's come in, and you know, it's a really cool product." Um, and and they would, we would have a conversation, and you would actually buy that. Uh, you would actually buy that product. Um, versus today, where we have, you know where we have so many options. Like literally mm-hmm. like if I have, if I'm looking for a toothpaste, a hundred years ago, there were like two options. Today, there are maybe like 400 options and they're <laughs> all like super niche, right? So it's like this toothpaste is really good for people that have sensitivity. Um, who it's It's really good for children who have teeth sensitivity who are also looking for flavor. That's a really specific kind of thing. So my point is that for the consumer, this has turned into a nightmare because you know, how does a mother decide between 400 different options? Mm -hmm. And therefore we're also living in a very specialized world. And so people want people. So the only metric that we have to go by is this idea of like, how expert is this product? Like how, like nobody wants to, here's my, here's the point I wanna make. If your product positioning is that we're a, we're a good toothpaste, we're good for young kids, we're good for older people, we're good for people, we're good for people with dentures, we're good for whitening, we have great flavors, uh, we do great foaming, you know, the reader perceives that as like, oh, you kind of like do a bunch, you kind of do a bunch of things. Right. What the reader really wants is they want someone who says, I do this one thing or I do these two things and I'm the best in the world at it and here's evidence that I'm the best in the world. So to me, this expertise element has become very important. And if you really think about how we actually behave, I mean, forget about what I'm saying. This is not theoretical stuff. Think about our actual behavior. When a, when a patient has, when a, when, a, when I have a, an ailment and I'm trying to go to a doctor, I don't want to go to my general practitioner. I actually want to go to the best specialist who works on that specific problem that I'm having Who's in the driving distance? I don't care about someone being amazing in Alaska. I live in Michigan. Um, I want someone who's in my driving distance, who's taking patients and who's covered by my insurance. Like that's my definition of best in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And if you think about all of our behaviors, we are all looking for the best in the world. And so, what that means is that kind of coming full circle with the product description is that this idea of demonstrating expertise. Uh, how do we? use our product our product description to communicate to the buyer that not only that this product kind of sort of works but that for a very specific type of buyer there is no better alternative that's out there like that's what i'm looking for as a consumer and so this idea of demonstrating expertise is like the central piece of how we think about um writing product descriptions it's
0: interesting it's like the phrase the jack of all trades exactly um is there anything else you want to add before we go
1: you know i mean uh, you know uh, you you mentioned that this is you want to kind of think about this from the perspective of the buyer uh, is that correct yeah so i think that's something that i i want to kind of talk about a little bit um so the the reality is the 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 fact of the matter is is that brands indulge in a lot of talking about the world from their perspective. Well, the thing is that in the movie that's playing in my head as a consumer, I'm the hero, I'm the protagonist. You guys are all supporting actors. And in Jason's mind, he's the hero and I'm the supporting actor. So at the end of the day, we have to reframe the story from the perspective of Jason. And Mm -hmm. I think this is a huge Opportunity, because, uh, and I think this is a r- r- really important perspective, because we need to be a more empathetic about people. Think about every product is designed to solve a problem. That's what products are. Uh, whether it's uh, it's whether it's a product like Nivea, which is a moisturizing cream for people that have very dry skin, is how they describe it, or uh, if it's Altoids for people that uh, need a you know fresh uh, you know mint. Uh, those are problems that those products are solving. I need something. I want to freshen my mouth. I need to uh, moisturize my body. Um, And these products are solving those problems. But we have to think about. So the person who's actually trying to solve this problem. When I went to Nivea uh, and I was trying to buy a moisturizing cream, you know, 20 years ago, um, I had a vulnerability. And the product is supposed to actually. You know, make my life better. So how do we? How do we? Disc, you know, we need to understand that when someone comes to our product page, they're dealing with anxiety, and so we have to be empathetic towards that, towards, uh, towards that anxiety, so we can, you know, help them. I mean, our the purpose at the end of the day, yes, my job, and this is a really important point I want to make, is that I'm actually I have two masters. I have a client that's actually saying, hey, there's a diff. I should clarify. For me, when I think about improving sales conversion rates on a product page, I'm actually not thinking about it in the context of like how do I just improve conversion rates on the product page. That's not how I'm looking at it. What Mm -hmm. I'm thinking about is how do I remove friction. There's a it's a very different mindset. So I'm thinking to myself that okay, if a web if a page has a conversion rate of let's say one percent, that means that ninety nine percent of people that came to the page we were not able to help. Now why didn't we help these people? Why weren't we able to help these people? And what kind of information, I mean, I think about what a great injustice. Someone is coming to our page because clearly they have a problem that they wanna solve, but we failed at giving them information that they needed to solve that problem what was that information that they didn't have so when i think about experimentation i'm not thinking about like how do i get someone to buy my product i'm thinking in terms of i know that we have jasons that are coming to this page and they're looking to they're trying to solve a specific problem how do i better connect with them and i and so it's really important to kind of look at it from that perspective
0: mm-hmm. yeah i like that i like how you put it yeah. as you know they spend their time coming to your product page and it is a great injustice if you have them on your page and then you don't even deliver on even the basics of what they are looking for, you know, in that product. That's a really cool way to put it. Very interesting. Um, if people want to learn more about what you do, how could they get a hold of you?
1: Well, uh, uh, I'm pretty active on LinkedIn, so if they search for my name, which is R I S H I, and my last name is Rob R A W A T. T for Thomas, uh, they will find me. I, I'm sure you'll include this in the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, but uh, I would say LinkedIn is a pretty good place to actually find me. Um, I also have a weekly newsletter. Every Monday, I actually share some of those insights with my mailing list. And mm-hmm. so if anyone's interested in those kind of ideas and little kind of hacks that they can kind of apply to their businesses, um, all they have to do is go to my website, which is frictionless commerce. So f R-I-C-T-I-O-N-C-O-M-M-E-R-C dot com forward slash join. Um, and then there's a little sign-up form for my newsletter. You can unsubscribe at any point, but uh, you will then get access to ideas that I have every Monday morning.
0: Very cool. Yes, I will put the link to that in in the show notes into your LinkedIn so people can find it easier. Thank you. All right. Thanks for coming on. That was really good
1: thanks Jason thanks I appreciate you uh, and your time thanks
0: all right let's continue the conversation together I know that you'll have some opinions ideas and questions so we set up a members only area just for that go to heroes of and subscribe and join the after party we'll see you next time